At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Howdy, everyone. If you enjoy the show, join our free Discord. Link in the description and chat with the cast. Please leave a review and consider joining our Patreon for behind-the-scenes content and more. Tears start at a dollar, and even that helps us out. To stay up to date with episode releases and more, follow us on Twitter at Riffway Podcast. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rift's Rules, the 5e DD podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is... Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons! The newest D&D book is finally out! Uh... From our perspective, for two days now, uh, but probably going to be a few more until the rest of y'all are able to get this in your ears. Words are hard. Uh, anyway, uh, Mitch, what do you know about the newest book to come out from Wizards of the Coast? Lion Drake. Uh, yeah, you are very, very enthusiastic about that cat dragon, ain't you? <laughs> That is literally the extent of all I know. <laughs> I saw it on Twitter like an hour ago. That's the only reason I know that much. I honestly, I wish that it was that one particularly was like a little bit cooler or scarier. But like, did you actually see the picture of the thing? Yeah. Needed more cat to it. I think it's weird looking. A little bit. Yeah. But anyway, uh, before we get overly distracted, as usual, uh, the newest book is a fantastic one. Like, I... Do you remember what I said was the thing that I did not care for as much, uh, particularly for the Witchlight book? Uh... Let's pretend I do, but I don't want to say it to preserve mystery. <laughs> uh, okay. 
the thing I didn't care for in Witch Light was that it was an adventure, and I know that, you know, an adventure module is supposed to just be an adventure, but when you compare that to something like Descent into Avernus, I like books that give Dungeon Masters things to work with, that gives Dungeon Master, you know, potentially lore, mechanics, like, just things that a DM can use for the sake of their world building. Like, Avernus gave a ton of stuff that could help just build up how you rule the abyss or hells and just whatever afterlife kind of stuff you want to make use of. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff on, uh, you know, bargains and such, which I have also ranted at length about in the past. And Witchlight didn't really have as much for Dungeon Masters to use for world building things. This newest book, Fisbin's Treasury of Dragons, has a ton of stuff that Dungeon Masters can make use of. Tons of new options for, you know, players and characters, you know, new spells, magic items, all kinds of stuff. And I am quite happy overall. On the other hand, it is not a perfect book. While there are a lot of really, really good things, the lore kind of makes me sad. Uh, have you seen the Twitter news about the thing at the beginning? Elegy for the First World? Nope. So, they rewrote some of the lore for the creation myth of the D&D multiverse to focus more on Bahamut and Tiamat. And there's only the briefest mention of my boy Io. Just, how do you do Io dirty like that? By just having him just be a reference of like, oh yeah, there's this other myth in Greyhawk, but yeah, grumble. Uh, anyway, uh, as some of you also know, I am a maniac when it does come to spoilers. So I'm not going to actually say too much about the lore side of things that are talked about in the book, and I'm not going to talk as much about uh, some of the, actually a lot of the other things that are written in the book uh, for Dungeon Masters to make use of lore-wise. Uh, what I am going to be focusing on in this one is going through some of the new character creation options, talk about some of the magic items and spells, and then on Thursday's episode, a deeper dive into Draconic Gifts. So for those like me who are concerned about potential spoilers, well, now you know what you're getting into. That being said, there are actually quite a considerable amount of options uh, just for new Draconic characters. So the... One that most people will know about already being in the book is new Dragonborn options. And they have taken in a somewhat interesting direction to me just overall through this book. Uh, can you name types of dragons? You mean like colors? Uh, zoomed out view. Like what are like the red and white dragons like what is the umbrella over their type oh uh 
There's what, metallic and chromatic? Correct. Yeah. But there are also gem dragons, which this book is has a lot about, honestly, which is, I don't know, it just feels odd to me that they're just shoehorning in, like, oh yeah, there's this third one too that's totally been there all along and totally is relevant and just as important as the chromatic and metallic. And I don't know, they push the gem dragons hard in this book. And like, to be honest, that's one of the few parts of the book in general that's kind of meh to me. Because to be honest, I just don't care much about gem dragons. Like, they're neat. A lot of them are very pretty looking. But to just tell us that they're important? just doesn't stick right. Anyway, uh, Dragonborn, though, does have all three varieties now where you can be a chromatic gem or metallic Dragonborn. And they do also seem to be continuing that uh, new pattern for character building uh, where you don't have assigned ability scores anymore and it is just uh, plus two to something, plus one to something else. And, okay. So, otherwise, Dragonborn are still humanoid. They did not change them to give them the dragon subtype. Uh, but you do pick a chromatic ancestry that to, will determine, you know, what your breath weapon deals. Uh, they did change the balance of the breath weapon that a Dragonborn has. So now it is always uh, based on your Dragonborn type. So like a Chromatic is always going to have a 30-foot line that is 5 feet wide for their breath weapon. But what they changed is that instead of it being a uh, every short or long rest you're able to use it, now it's just a number of times a day equal to your proficiency bonus for long rest. And what they also changed... Uh, besides the damage as well, is that when you take the attack action on your turn, you can replace one of your attacks with an exhalation of magical energy. So instead of it being an action to use your breath weapon, if you are a dragonborn fighter, paladin, you know, what have you, just anything with extra attack that you only need to replace one of your attacks, with your breath weapon. So it's easier to use, uh, a little bit more damage, because now it's D10s instead of D6s, and you can potentially use it you know, more than once in a single combat, because, again, number times equals proficiency bonus. So good, they've actually just tried to make the breath weapon a little more usable. I like that. And of course, you still have Draconic Resistance, where you resist the damage type of your Chromatic Ancestry, so, like, if you are a red dragonborn, then you're resistant to fire, your breath weapon is fire. Makes sense. Now there's an additional new thing, though, called chromatic warding. Starting at 5th level, as an action, you can channel your draconic energy to protect yourself. For one minute, you become immune to the damage type associated with your chromatic ancestry. Once you use this trait, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. So for one minute... Per long rest, you can become immune to an element 
that's interesting because usually you don't get any form of immunity that low level. So potentially then for one minute a day, you know, in game time, to just be immune to fire or ice or lightning, what have you, that's interesting. And that's something that could be quite interesting in how a character might just make use of that trait. Because again, yeah, like if cool. you know that like you're fighting something like a gelatinous cube, and then you could just make yourself full on immune to acid and then just like charge into the fight like depending on the type of dragonborn you are and the type of enemies might face that is a massive potential advantage all right so now moving along to the gem dragonborn uh for the most part it starts off pretty much the same humanoid medium 30 foot walking speed uh but then you choose a gem dragon for your breath weapon and draconic resistance now, what is different about gem dragons compared to the chromatic is actually the damage types, first of all. So instead of it being a mirror like the chromatic and metallic are to have like the more standard elements for this, uh, amethyst dragon is force damage, crystal radiant, emerald psychic, sapphire thunder, and Topaz Necrotic. So gem dragons give you access to the more exotic damage types, which can be pretty fun in terms of, like, if you're trying to be, like, an optimizer type to have those harder-to-resist language or uh, damage types. Uh, what is also different is that instead of the breath weapon being a line, for gems, it's always going to be a 15-foot cone. Same saves, same damage, though. And, again, uh, number of times equal to proficiency bonus, that's all the same. What is also different then, they have an ability called Psionic Mind. You can send telepathic messages to any creature you can see within 30 feet of you. You don't need to share a language with the creature for it to understand these messages, but it must be able to understand at least one language to comprehend them. So, holy crap, a racial telepathy within 30 feet, uh, on the downside, you can only send telepathic messages. You can't automatically receive them with that trait. But that sounds like a ghostwise halfling. Why, yes, it does. But then, then I only know because I'm playing one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then they also have a fifth level trait, Gem Flight. Starting at fifth level, you can use a bonus action to manifest spectral wings on your body. Wings last for one minute, which gives you a flying speed equal to your walking speed and can hover, then can't do so again until you finish a long rest. So that's also pretty awesome. One minute a day of flight, uh, starting at fifth level. So yeah, I could definitely see that being very situationally useful as well. And then we have the metallic dragon ball. Uh, humanoid medium, 30 foot walking speed, uh, pick a metallic dragon for your ancestry as usual brass for fire bronze for lightning copper for acid gold for fire as well uh and silver for coal so fire gets a lot of representation among dragons uh metallics also are a 15 foot cone but the rest of the dragon breath is going to be the same what is not going to be the same uh is the fact that their fifth level trait metallic breath weapon so, unlike every other dragon type, 
uh, metallics have a second option for their breath. So instead of just being an exhalation of damage, it has effect options. Enervating breath, where each creature in the cone has to make a con save or become incapacitated until the start of your next turn. Or a repulsion breath, where each creature in the cone has to make a strength save or be pushed 20 feet away from you and not prone. And the metallic one is just once per long rest. But the idea that you can replace one of your attacks with the potential to just incapacitate every creature that you can catch in that 15 feet cone, that's really powerful. So there is no shortage of good abilities across all of the new Dragonborn uh, words. Sub-race? What's the re- That's not the right phrase. Uh, whatever. The different Dragonborn new options. Uh, besides that, there is also some new subclass options. There's the Monk, Way of the Ascendant Dragon, and the Ranger, Drake Warden. So the Monk is one that is kind of themed around a dragon's abilities, and some of the lore possibilities are kind of neat about, like, did you watch dragons or get trained by a dragon and how they move? And I I like it, but uh, also I don't think that it's been said out loud yet, but I might as well. Uh, I am known for my love of beholders, but dragons have always and will always also hold a very special place in my heart. Like, even before I got into d and I've always been a dragon nerd. So, I'm quite happy with this book. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, Monk, Wave the Ascendant Dragon. When you pick it at third level, you immediately uh, get the Draconic Disciple, uh, third way ability, uh, which lets you channel Draconic Power to magnify your presence and imbue your unarmed strikes with the essence of a dragon's breath. Uh, you gain a bunch of benefits immediately at their level then. Draconic Presence. If you fail an Intimidation or Persuasion check, you can use your reaction to re-roll it as you tap into the mighty presence of dragons. Uh, once this feature turns a failure into a success, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. Then Draconic, Draconic Strike. When you damage a target with an unarmed strike, you can change the damage type to acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. And then Tongue of Dragons, where you learn to read, speak, and write, draconic, or some other language if you choose. But honestly, draconic strike definitely catches my interest. The ability to just change the damage type of your unarmed strike from bludgeoning to an element that's amazing. I mean, if you consider fighting against something like a troll, where you just can always have that fire acid on hand, I mean, just that just seems fun. Or just the idea of like a monk punches a bonfire to light it. Like I can see there being just a lot of fun with that ability. And of course, the draconic presence to potentially turn a failed intimidation or persuasion into success can also be pretty damn good. 
And then also at third level, they also do gain a Breath of the Dragon, which lets them also use the Breath Weapon. Uh, and it's the same style as the Dragonborn new uh, variety, where when you take the attack action, you can replace one of the attacks with the exhalation of Draconic Energy. However, this is the one thing that is weird to me. It is a 20-foot cone or 30-foot line. I honestly don't know if that's a typo or not, because everything else is 15-foot cone or 30-foot line. But for some reason, the monk one is a slightly larger cone. I'm curious if that's going to get errated as being a typo, but we'll see. Uh, also, what's cool for the monk, though, is, they, again, they get to choose the damage type among the normal for the chromatic vibe, acid, cold, fire, light, and poison. And again, what's also pretty neat with that is that the damage, instead of being the normal one, is based on your martial arts die. So, quick refresher, uh, Monk's martial arts die gets higher the higher level they are. So then the higher level they are, the more damage they do, and that still will apply to the breath weapon here. So that's pretty neat. And then also, you can use the feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, regain expended uses when you finish a long rest, but there's an extra bit here. While you have no uses available, you can spend two key points to use this feature again. So even if you do use up your normal allotment for long rest, you can spend key to keep doing it. And that's really cool. I really do appreciate that uh, design intent that they've started with Tasha's to just make you able to use your other resources to use your abilities. So, yay. Then at 6th level, they get Wings Unfurl. Uh, when you use Step of the Wind, you can unfurl spectral draconic wings from your back that vanish at the end of your turn. While the wings exist, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed. So, basically, you can do, like, Liu Kang's bicycle kick with your D&D Just where you're in the air for an inordinately long time. And, yeah, it's, you know, very much along the line for the kind of, you know, wuxia aspect of being a monk. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 11th level aspect of the word. You gain an aura that you turn on with a bonus action, radiates 10 feet from you for one minute. Uh, gain the following effects of your choice. Frightful presence. Oh, boy. When you create this aura, and as a bonus action on subsequent turns, choose a creature within the aura that has to make a will save against your key save DC or become frightened of you for a minute. A target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn, ending the effect on itself on a successful save. Frightened? is a underappreciated condition a lot of the time, and I do include myself in that, in that I don't usually make use of it as a dungeon master as much as I arguably should. But the ability to just every turn use your bonus action to try to frighten a character, that can be a very, very hit. Uh, and also... Uh, while you activate the aura, you can choose a resistance uh, for acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. You and your allies in the aura have resistance to that damage. Uh, once you do create an aura, you can't create it again until you finish a long rest, unless you spend three key points to create it again. So that is also pretty goddamn cool. The fact that it is you and allies to have that resistance can really, really help with friendly fire fireballs. <laughs> like, if you do have, you know, someone in your party who, you know, sees that everyone's gotten surrounded and then just wants to use a fireball, if you do have this aura going with fire resistance as your chosen one, then that can make it a way more reasonable choice to just have an ally just launch a fireball and just you know, take the damage and hope for the best. But then they have their 17th level uh, Ascendant Aspect. Augment Breath. When you use your Breath of the Dragon, you can spend a key point to augment its shape and power, which turns it into a 60-foot cone or a 90-foot line that's 5 feet wide. Your choice. And that is awesome. Fucking right? That is a big area. 60 foot cone or 90 foot line for one key point. That's really goddamn cool. And again, the fact that you can choose to keep spending key on breath. Ah, oh, man, that's really fucking cool. Uh, and of course, the damage also scales to now four rolls of your martial arts die. Also, uh, still does half damage on a successful save. But in addition to that, you also get blind sight out to 10 feet, which lets you see anything that's not behind total cover, even if you're blind or in darkness. Uh, also lets you see invisible creatures within that range, unless the creature sequentially hides from you. And finally, explosive fury. When you activate your aspect of the worm, uh, the aura thing, uh, choose any number of creatures you can see in your aura. Each of those creatures has to make a deck save against your EDC, uh, or take 3d10 
acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison damage. Oh, that is a good, solid monk subclass. Alright, anyway, on to the Drake Warden Ranger. So, this is yet another attempt to include a beast buddy for a ranger. So, now, the way that they did it is you have a spirit that takes the form of a drake to fight alongside you and be okay. So, third level, Draconic Gift. Uh, you learn the Thaumaturgy Cantrip, which is a ranger spell for you, and you also get the Draconic Language or some other one. Okay. But then, Drake Companion, also at third level. As an action, you can magically summon the drake that is bound to you. It appears in an unoccupied space of your choice within 30 feet. Friendly to you and your companions, obeys your commands. Uh, there's a drake companion stat block, and a lot of it is changed by your proficiency bonus. So, like, the AC of the drake is 14 plus your proficiency bonus. So when you first get this at third level, that would be 14 plus 2 for an AC of 16. But then, you know, you level up, level up, level up, you know, get to the point where your proficiency bonus, you know, eventually, you know, by endgame, plus 6. So 20 AC at that point. Then its hit points is 5 plus 5 times your ranger level. So again, if you do eventually get up to 20th level, then okay, 105 hit points. That's actually a pretty respectable growth rate. Uh, what is also kind of neat is that you get to choose the element, you know, tied to your drake, the usual acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, which will affect, you know, the immunity that the drake has and its ability to just potentially do that. But yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I quite like the idea of this break. I like the fact that it does actually scale with you, so you try to avoid uh, the problem that the Beastmaster uh, is infamous for. Uh, also, the fact that the Drake shares your initiative, but just takes this turn after you. The fact that you actually do have something that can fight makes this, you know, infinitely preferable to you know, a familiar that is restricted from, you know, actually aiding you in combat. But, yeah, it's a pretty nifty feature. Uh, anyway, at 7th level, they get Bond of Fang and Scale, uh, which lets you uh, grow wings on the back of the drake, which gives it a fly speed equal to walking speed. Also, uh, you get a couple extra features. Uh, the drake grows from small to medium, and you can use it as a mount as long as your size is medium or smaller. So normally, uh, you have to ride a creature that's at least one size bigger than you. So this is a specific rule that allows a medium creature to ride on a medium mount. So that is potentially very handy because there's a lot of times where a normal mount won't fit in a place. Well, so yeah, like mounted combat is a pretty solid option here. Uh, in addition to that, though, it also increases bite damage 
and you also gain resistance to the damage type that, you know, your drake had. So if you chose, you know, to have your drake be a fire drake, you're also resistant to fire, which is always a useful thing in D&D. And then at 11th level, the drake gets the ability to use a breath weapon for a 30-foot cone, which again, pretty solid amount of uh, space. But what is also interesting is that it deals 8d6 damage. I'm curious, does that number feel familiar to you at all? Fireball? Fireball. It is a 30-foot cone, so it's still a bit of a smaller area than Fireball's 20-foot radius sphere, but 8d6 damage of the damage type that you chose for your Drake. So again, that gives you that you know, uh, flexibility of what you want your relationship with this drink. That's bad phrasing. Uh, you know what I mean. But 8d6 damage. And then there's another aspect to it where once you use the feature, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest or expend a spell slot of third level or higher to use it again. So again, the ability to use a resource, in this case, spell slots directly, to get the class feature back, which I really like that mechanic. And then at 15th level, they get a perfected bond. Uh, the uh, Drake will do a solid amount more damage for its fight attack. Uh, also, the Drake grows to large size and allows you to even fly while you're riding the Drake. And then reflexive resistance. When either you or the drake takes damage while you're within 30 feet of each other, you can use your reaction to give yourself or the drake resistance to that instance of damage. You can use this reaction a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, regaining all when you finish a long rest. So that's kind of nuts. So proficiency bonus times per day, just give yourself or your drake resistance flat out to that instance of damage. So you just can take half damage a couple of times a day as a reaction. That's really, really freaking good. All right, so that's it for the two new subclasses. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to the new Draconic Feats. So... Of course, feats themselves are technically an optional rule in the player's handbook, but I've already gone on record. I am very much pro-feat, so let's go and check these out. So there are three new feats. Gift of the Chromatic Dragon, Gift of the Gem Dragon, and Gift of the Metallic Dragon. So all of these are about having a character that begins to just show some aspect of draconic power. So chromatic uh, grants you chromatic infusion as a bonus action, can touch a simpler martial weapon and infuse it with acid, cold, fire, poison, or lightning damage. For the next minute, the weapon deals an extra 1d4 of that chosen type of damage. Uh, once you use this bonus action, can't again until you finish a long rest. So not bad. Once a day, a minute, extra d4 damage. The right character, that could be quite nice. 
And then this also grants that reactive resistance I just mentioned a minute ago. Uh, but specifically, when you take acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison damage, you can use your reaction to give yourself resistance to that instance of damage. And can use the reaction a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus before you need a long rest. Not too shabby. Then we've got the gift of the gem dragon. Increase intelligence, wisdom, or charisma by one to a maximum of 20. Telekinetic reprisal. When you take damage from a creature within 10 feet of you, you can use a reaction to emanate telekinetic energy. They have to make a strength save or take 2d8 force damage and be pushed 10 feet away from you. The successful save, they'll still take half damage and not get pushed. Can use the reaction a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, regaining all when you finish a rest. So, not bad. A little bit of damage, a little bit of ability score boost, and the push can also potentially be handy. But, I'll be honest, that one feels a little bit weaker compared to the chromatic one. Uh, anyway, gift of the metallic dragon. Draconic healing. You learn the Cure Wounds spell. You can cast the spell without expending a spell slot. Once you cast the spell in this way, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. You can also cast the spell using spell slots you have. The spell's spellcasting ability is Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma. When you cast it with this feat, choose when you gain the feat. Holy shit. Do you realize the implication of that one? No. Any character can get the Cure Wounds spell with this feat. Nice. And it also specifies that you can cast it with the feat without expending a spell slot and gain the ability to cast it with the spell slots you have. So you ha if you have a wizard that takes this feat, then that wizard can then use their wizard spell slot to cast Cure Wounds. Any creature can get this feat to get the ability to cast Cure Wounds. That is massive. That is a big fucking deal. Like, I'm very curious to see like, how very often this feat might get chosen in the near future. Uh, sorry, uh, I focused on the Draconic Healing, but there is also a second aspect to the feat, Protective Wings. You can manifest Protective Wings to shield you or others. When you or another creature you can see within 5 feet is hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to manifest Spectral Wings from your back for a moment. You grant a bonus to the target's AC equal to your proficiency bonus against that attack roll, potentially causing it to miss. And use this reaction a number of times equal to proficiency bonus for gaining all when you finish a long rest. That is also a very nifty ability in its own right. So even if you, like, let's say you're a variant human and take this feat immediately at level one, like even at that point, you're still going to have a plus two proficiency bonus, which can be enough to turn a hit into a miss. So that is a fan fantastic feat for both of the things that it gives all right so let's start talking magic a bit 
there are a handful of new spells that are introduced uh, from 2nd to 7th level. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, I'm just going to kind of highlight three of them here real quick. This part isn't going to be very long. Ashardalon's Stride. Third level spell, bonus action uh, for rangers, sorcerers, wizards, and artificers. And it is a self spell transmutation with a concentration up to one minute duration. The billowing flames of a dragon blast from your feet, granting you explosive speed. For the duration, your speed increases by 20 feet, and moving doesn't provoke opportunity. When you move within 5 feet of a creature or object that isn't being blown or carried, it takes 1d6 fire damage from your trail of heat. The creature or object can take this damage only once per turn. Then, if you cast the spell with a 4th level or higher spell slot, you increase your speed by 5 feet, and increase the fire damage by 1d6 each slot above 3rd. Do you realize the implications of using this spell? Mm, no. So, it's when you move within five feet of a creature, and you also don't have to worry about opportunity attacks, and the fact that it increases your speed to be able to walk to more creatures. But it's when you move within five feet of a creature or object, blah, 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 it takes 1d6 fire damage. There is no saving throw, there is no attack roll, this spell gives guaranteed damage. And it also does scale up when cast higher level. So if you do cast it with a fourth level spell slot, then your movement is increased to by 25 feet and 2d6 automatic fire damage. So if you did just like, you know, stumble across a uh you know family of trolls or something like that. One person casting this spell like, will go from a 30-foot movement speed to 55 and can just dash past all the trolls, no opportunity attacks, and it's not even taking the disengage action, so not even the sentinel feet would stop them, and they would just do automatic 2d6 fire damage to arrest that regeneration. Man, that's way better than Zephyr's Trick. It's a real good fucking spell, yeah. And I like the fact that it is scalable. So if you really did want to just do a lot and just cast it with a 6th level spell slot, then yeah. So that would be 35 foot movement speed boost, uh, 4d6 automatic fire damage. So if you just run in circles each turn, like just your movement is doing a pretty considerable amount of damage and you still have your action. It's a good damn spell. Uh, actually, let's just talk about one other spell, because we're already getting on a little bit long. Draconic Transformation. Available for druids, sorcerers, and wizards. Seventh level spell. A bonus action to cast. One minute uh, concentration. Potential duration. Transmutation. Draw the magic of dragons to transform yourself, taking on draconic features. Gain blindsight with a range of 30 feet, 
which lets you see anything not behind total cover, even if you're blind or in darkness, invisible, yada, yada, yada. Wrath weapon, while you cast, uh, sorry, when you cast this spell, and as a bonus action on subsequent turns for the duration, you can exhale shimmering energy on a 60-foot cone. Each creature in that area has to make a dex save, taking 6d8 force damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. And also, you get incorporeal wings from, to sprout from your back, giving you a 60-foot fly speed. That is powerful. So it's kind of neat, because there is, uh, you know, Tasha's Otherworldly Guys, Hensor's Transformation, but I think this might be my favorite of the bunch, because it gives you a 60-foot cone breath weapon and the ability to fly. And that breath weapon is dealing force damage, which is the rarest damage type to be resisted. That's awesome. So yeah, it is a 7th level spell, so not one that unfortunately I'll be able to get to use a whole lot. But still, a 60 foot cone, big chunk of force damage, and that breath weapon is when you cast a spell, and as a bonus action on subsequent turns. So you can keep using that breath weapon as your bonus action, so you can still use your action for other spells. That is a really good spell yet again. Alright. So, like I said, we are already running rather long, so I'm not going to go through all the magic items, because there's a good number. Uh, I'm just going to point out a couple of things here. Uh, one that I like is the Dragonhide Belt, which specifically requires attunement by a monk, and again is uh, uncommon, rare, or very rare for plus one, plus two, or plus three. But while wearing it, you get a bonus to the saving throw DCs of your key features. Uh, also, can use an action to regain key points equal to a roll of your martial arts die. Uh, can't use this action again till the next dawn. So this is, I want to say, the very first magic item specifically for a monk. Specifically is able to actually help them get a better saving throw DC for all of their key features. Because unfortunately... This is something that monks have been lacking for the entirety of 5th edition because they just haven't had a way because items that do help spell save DC, I mean, that's not key. So, so monks have been missing this for the last, uh, what has it been, nine years now for 5th edition? Something like that. So I'm happy that they did finally make that thing. Well, let's also just mention a potion just because I have to. Potion of Dragon's Majesty. Uh, when you drink this potion, transform into an adult dragon uh, of the kind that a dragon scale that's in it is from. Transformation lasts for an hour. Any equipment you're wearing or carrying melds into your new form of blah, 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 blah. Uh, can't use a dragon's chain shape or legendary or layer action. So this is I a legendary it. potion, but I mean, what's the phrase? always be yourself unless you can be a dragon something like that i would have fun with that just yeah a potion to turn into a dragon for an hour would just be a blast ah 
And honestly, there is so much more uh, just really just powerful, useful things here. Uh, there is special magic items uh, that specifically are influenced by being in a dragon's horde to have it gain more power. But I'm already getting more than a little bit on the long side. So I think I'm just going to wrap this up and just mention this new book, Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons, is absolutely one that deserves a place on your shelf. There is a lot of awesome dragon art. There is a lot of useful draconic-related things for players, draconic-related information for DMs, and a lot of things that a DM might make use of in their world building to really Put more dragons in your Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, hi, folks. Uh, Remy back here. Uh, I forgot to mention something very, very important, which is also the fact that there's a fuck ton of dragons mentioned in this book about dragons. Uh, kind of a whoops on my part that I didn't mention that at all in the episode proper and only noticed after the fact. But it is indeed true that uh, Fisman's Treasury of Dragons does live up to the name and has a fantastic amount of dragons in it. All kinds of new information on dragons, new tiers of dragons. Uh, you now have, you know, different ages available for even creatures like a dragon turtle. Uh, there is even a new tier above called a great worm, where you go even above an ancient dragon to a new level of power. So yeah, there is a fuck ton of cool dragon-related information in this new Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 